while they're being dismissed, go ahead and turn to that little stick of dynamite towards the back of your Bible, the second to last book, the book of Jude. Just one chapter. We'll continue our verse-by-verse study through this chapter this morning. We're just going to look at one verse. We'll be looking at verse 11. Verse 11 in Jude. Verse 11, it says this, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Let's pray before we continue. Lord God, we thank You for all the blessings You give us, Lord. We thank You so much for that grace that You extend to us that Mickey just sang about, Father. God, we don't deserve it, but You give it to us anyway, Lord. We thank You so much for that. We thank You so much for Your Son, Jesus Christ, who You sent to save us from our sins, Lord. Father, I just ask You that every person under this roof, under the sound of my voice, knows Him as their Lord and Savior. Lord, if they don't, I ask you that they won't be able to walk out of this place without putting their faith and trust in Him. Thank you for how you bless us, Lord. In Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. Well, this morning, as far as a title goes for the sermon, I want to speak to you for just a few minutes on this one verse about phony followers. Phony followers. Now, there's been a lot of phonies in the world throughout the history of this world, and I just jotted down three of them that I come across that really... It kind of intrigued me. There was a guy by the name of Christian Gerhardstreeter. I think I pronounced that right. It's a German name. This guy moved over to the United States from Germany, and he was a murderer. He was really a kidnapper and a murderer, and he came over to the United States, and he first came to California, and he murdered somebody there, and so he figured he better hightail it out of there, and he moved to New York City, and he renamed himself, he came up with his alias, and he claimed he was a Rockefeller. And so for years in New York City, back when the Rockefellers were really blowing and going, he was living high on the hog as a millionaire, whining and dining with the millionaires in New York City, and the whole time he was a murderer and a kidnapper. That guy was a phony, right? Got away with it for years before he finally got caught. There was another guy by the name of Ferdinand Demar, or Damar, And this guy, I really don't see how he got away with this stuff, but he did. This guy was a high school dropout who ended up faking his way to becoming a college instructor. He ended up faking his way to being a warden at a a prison. And then to top that off, that's pretty impressive, but this guy actually faked his way to becoming a surgeon on on the Royal Canadian Navy. And he did surgery on this guy that got shot and got the bullet out. Actually ended up winning an award, and a medal. And then that's when they got to looking into this guy and he got caught. I guess that goes to show anybody can be a surgeon, right? Well, this guy was a phony. And then lastly, there was a guy by the name of Victor Lustig. And this guy, he claimed to be a government official in London in the 1920s. And he actually sold the Eiffel Tower to another guy. I mean, this guy was such a phony that he tricked this dude into buying the Eiffel Tower for millions of dollars. And so, needless to say, he lost all that money. Well, this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about phonies. Now, I just want to give you a little background, bring you up to speed again where we are in the book of Jude. Remember, 
what his purpose is in writing this letter. He tells us in verses 3 and 4, he's writing this letter to exhort true believers to contend for the true faith. He is exhorting us to contend for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to defend it, to share the truth of it with people who are, who are not looking at it properly, who don't really know what it says, or taking it out of context, or who may just be completely lying about what it says. He says, contend for the faith. Why should we do that? Because it says in verse 4, certain men have crept in unnoticed. People have crept in into the church, into uh, the world, claiming to be believers, but they're really false believers because they do not really stand upon what the Word of God has to say. Remember, he's been describing these sneaky false believers throughout this letter. He's described them as people who are ungodly. They claim a form of godliness. They name the name of Christ, but their lifestyle shows that they're really ungodly. He says they've turned the grace of God into lewdness. And we talked about what that meant. That they say, hey, we're under grace, so that just gives us a license to sin. That gives us an excuse to sin. But that's not the meaning of grace at all. The Bible tells us that the, the grace of God leads us to righteousness. But they say, hey, we're under grace. We can just send it up and do whatever we want to do. Also, he says they deny the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. Again, they, they claim the name of Christ. They may even say, hey, I'm okay because one time when I was a little kid, I, I prayed and I asked Jesus into my heart. But from that period on, they lived like the devil. The Bible tells us that that just manifests the fact that that person never really put their trust in Christ. It goes on also to say that they're evil dreamers who defile the flesh. And we talked about how they just invent evil they just invent ways to sin, all the while claiming the Lord Jesus Christ. And they may even stand up before a crowd of people and, and quote a Bible verse and then turn around, right around and support something like abortion. That does, that's not compatible with the Word of God. That's not compatible with a believer. Jude says they reject authority. They reject governmental authority. They reject biblical authority. They re reject authority within the home, the rightful place of a, the headship of a husband over a wife. They reject authority within a church, and they reject the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it also says they speak evil of dignitaries. And then a little bit later on, Jude related these people to three different groups of people. Some uh, Throughout the Old Testament, he said they're like unbelieving Israel in the wilderness who started out well, they started out claiming to believe in the Lord, but then by the time they got to the end of the wilderness wondering, they were judged and they were killed by the Lord. Why is that? It's not because they lost their salvation. It's because they never really trusted in the Lord in the first place, and their lives manifested that. It showed they never really believed in the Lord. He also compared them to the angels who rebelled against God's authority. And he compared them to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah who fell into sexual immorality. And so now in Jude verse 11, he continues to describe these false believers by giving us some personal illustrations. Some illustrations of some phony followers of the Lord. Some individuals. He's going to show us an illustration with Cain. He shows us an illustration with this guy named Balaam. And he shows us an illustration with this other guy named Korah. And to do this... <coughs> He goes back to the Bible, right? He goes back to the Old Testament. And he shows us that these present apostates, these apostates that he's writing about in the book of Jude, they follow the same example of the ones in the past. In other words, there's nothing new under the sun. 
This is not anything new. This was going on in, in the Old Testament. This was going on in Jews' day. And this is going on in our day today. And so he writes about these apostates. They follow the same path. And I want you to notice before we get into it, <coughs> Jude is writing this letter not to preachers. He's not writing this letter to deacons or Sunday school, Sunday school teachers. He's writing this letter to everyday Christians. People who, who, who claim the name of Christ. And notice that he expected them to know what he was talking about. He simply said, he, he simply talked about the way of Cain and the heir of Balaam and the rebellion of Korah. And he didn't go into detail about what that was. He expected them to know what that was. In other words, he expected them to know what their Bible said. Right? He just assumes that his readers know what he's talking about when he talks about the illustrations of these guys that he's giving them. And listen, they didn't have a Bible sitting on their coffee table like we do. There wasn't Bibles in every house home the way there is today. So I want to ask you something. I'm not doing this to try to, to throw a fit and, and step on your toes, although it should. I'm doing this to exhort you. Do you know what he's talking about? Do you know what the way of Cain is? Do you know what the error of Balaam is? Do you know what the rebellion of Korah is? We should all know. What the, I should not be preaching to you anything this morning that you do not already know. Just as Jude expected his readers to know what he was talking about. Because we don't have any excuse not to know what this is. As a matter of fact, according to Lifeway Research, Barna Research... The average household in the United States of America, even not so-called non-believers, has 4.4 Bibles in their house. Do you realize that? Four, almost five Bibles per household. But what's sad about that is, and this, this statistic I'm about to give you now, is among professed believers. According to professed Protestant believers, this is excluding Catholics, According to professed Protestant believers, only 36% of Protestants claim they read their Bible. 36%! Folks, that's, that's pitiful. And of those people, only 13% of that 36% say they read their Bible several times per week. Folks, we ought to be reading our Bible. We have no excuse for not reading our Bible. We have access to a Bible even on our phone. There's no excuse. And not only that, we have access to so much other literature that those people never had. We have wonderful commentaries, wonderful study Bibles. We could read and study to know the Word of God. You know, in, in Rome, around the time Jude's writing this, you know what Christians were fighting in Roman Catholicism? They were fighting the fact that their Pope did not want them to read the Bible. They weren't able to get copies of Scripture as easily as we are. And so the Pope said, don't worry about reading the Bible. We'll read the Bible and we'll tell you what it means, right? I mean, we think about that now. We, we probably get mad and say, I'm not going to have any preacher telling me I can't read the Bible for myself. But you know what we're doing by default? The exact same thing. Because people will come to church 
and just rely on the preacher to tell them what the Word of God means or the Sunday school teacher to tell them what the Word of God means and they never read it throughout the week to see if that preacher is even telling the truth. Folks, we need to be reading our Bibles. People have shed their blood so we could have an English translation of this Bible. They've been killed so we could have our own Bibles in our own houses to read it. Well, I'll stop chasing that rabbit. But let's look at these three illustrations of these phony believers, these people who claim to be believers, but their lives prove otherwise. First of all, we see the way of Cain. <clears throat> look at the first part of verse 11 again. It says, They have gone in the way of Cain. And so the first illustration Jude gives us is of Cain. Remember who Cain is. He's the son of Adam and Eve. He's the first person who was ever born upon the earth. You can read about him in Genesis chapter 4. And we know something about Cain when we study his life. Cain was a religious man, right? Cain had religion. Cain believed in God. Cain even claimed to have a, 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 a relationship with God. He recognized a basic need for God in his life. However, here was Cain's problem. He refused to approach God on God's terms, right? He came to God with the wrong kind of sacrifice. He did not come by shedding the blood of a lamb. He did not come with a, with a, a blood sacrifice. What's the problem with that? This sacrifice that they were offering, that Cain and Abel was offering at that point in time, was a sacrifice for sin. This was an atoning sacrifice. And the Bible says that atonement requires the shedding of blood. You say, well, how did Cain know what to do? The same way Abel knew what to do. Because remember what happened with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned, then they hid themselves from God. And then what did they try to do? They tried to cover up their own sin by their own works by sewing fig leaves together and covering their nakedness, right? They tried to cover their sin with their own works. But then God showed them the proper pattern. What did God do? God slayed and slain an innocent lamb to cover up their nakedness. He shed the blood of a lamb to cover up their nakedness with those skins. And so God had set the, set the pattern. God had taught them what to do. And there's no doubt that Adam and Eve taught Cain and Abel what to do. That's the reason Abel made the proper sacrifice. But Cain didn't do that. Instead, he invented his own system. He invented his own religion based on his own ideas. I'll do it the way I want to do it, and I'll come to God by my own works, is what Cain said. Cain probably did bring the best of what he had. <clears throat> he probably bought, brought the best ears of corn that he had. He probably bought the, the best heads of cabbage or whatever that he had, lettuce. He probably bought the very best that his hands could grow. The very best of his work. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says our best works are as filthy rags before the Lord. His sacrifice was not in faith, the Bible tells us in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. That's the reason God was not pleased with that because God had prescribed a proper method of, being, of sin being atoned for. That was by the shedding of the blood. And so he put his faith in his own way instead of putting his faith in God's way for salvation. Cain rejected God's way. 
Really the basic philosophy behind Cain's religion, behind the way of Cain, was that salvation had to be earned by our own efforts, by our own works. And this is the essence of basically every false religion, that we have to do it our own way, by our own hand. It always, listen, false religion, the way of Cain, always denies God's revealed word on the subject of salvation. And if you've got it wrong on salvation, buddy, you're in big, big trouble. That's the way of Cain. They say this. They say, don't be so narrow-minded. There's more than one way to salvation. That's what people on the way of Cain say. But Jesus Christ said, I'm the, I'm the only way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through me. Amen. There is no other way. <clears throat> the way of Cain is repulsed by the fact that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You see, people on the way of Cain, they'll say stuff like, what kind of God would kill His own son? Those people are on the way of Cain. They'll say things like, the cross is just too offensive. A man being nailed to a cross, his side being pierced, his blood being shed, that's just too offensive. I can't believe that. But the Bible says, and God declared, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. He had to die in our stead. The perfect God-man had to die for an infinite number of sins. The infinite man died for an infinite number of sins. It had to be that way. That's God's prescribed method. The way of Cain emphasizes human reasoning and man's good works. And then... Going back to the story of Cain, whenever God rejected Cain's way, what does the Bible say in Genesis chapter 4? It says his countenance fell and he became angry. And so we see that Cain's refusal to repent led him to even deeper apostasy. It led him even further away from God. Listen, if you feel God drawing you in, if you feel Him calling you to salvation, don't push Him away. God was giving Cain an opportunity before he killed his brother to make things right and to bring the proper sacrifice. But instead of doing that, Cain got angry and he fell even deeper into sin. Listen, the more you push God away, the more He's going to leave you alone. And the worse you're going to get. Until finally, one day, there's no chance at all. And so the first person ever born became the first murderer in the history of the world. Notice there how far and how fast people can fall into horrible, horrible sin. What was the first sin? They simp- I'm not making light of it, but they simply ate of the, the, the wrong fruit, right? Now, that was direct disobedience to God, which is sin. I'm not making light of that. But look how far and how fast this got even worse. They went from disobeying a command not to eat of that fruit to murdering. That's how quick it can happen to us, folks. Don't ignore God drawing you to repentance. So what is the way of Cain? It's the way of unbelief and dead religion. The way of religion without a true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to, to falsely have that relationship in another way. 
Listen, there's no way for you to have a relationship with Christ except through the cross and putting your faith and trust in His shed blood upon that cross and the fact that He rose again the third day. There is no other way. Any other way leads to hostility towards God and towards His people. We've noticed that in the world every day. Paul says people in the way of Cain have a, in 2 Timothy 3, 5, he says they have a form of godliness but deny its power and from such people you should turn away. So, all that being said, there's only two ways you can try to get to God. There's the way of Cain and there's the way of the cross. And upon the authority of the Word of God, the Bible says the only way that will get you to God is the way of the cross. And so, I exhort you this morning, if you are pretending with this church stuff, if this is just religion to you, just going through the motion, this is the work you think you're doing to be in a relationship with God, please stop fooling yourself. That's the way of Cain. Make sure you have a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So false believers, they go the way of Cain. Their own, basically their own religion. Secondly, Jude says these false phony believers, they uh, go into the error of Balaam. It says in the second part of verse 11, they have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. And so this second illustration of apostasy is this uh, prophet for hire who leads God's people into sin. Oh, Balaam. Do you remember Balaam? Read about him in Numbers 22 through 25 and Numbers chapter 31. And when we think about Balaam, what do we usually think about? Talking donkey, right? That old talking donkey. You know, sometimes Mickey calls me a smart talking donkey. <laughs> if you don't get that, I'll tell you after church, right? But Balaam, Balaam had a lust for money. That's his problem. He had a lust for money. He had a lust for prestige. He had a lust for position at any cost. And he didn't care if it involved destroying other people. He didn't care if it involved leading other people astray in their beliefs. That was the error uh, of Balaam. Now just a little bit of background on this. Uh, remember old King Balak of Moab. He's the one who offered Balaam this, this money to try to get him to curse God's people. And so he come to him and he tried to hire him to curse the people of God. And remember Balaam, he started out well. He, he refused at first. He refused because he knew it was wrong. And he also refused because God had spoke to him saying, Balaam, you can't do this. I'm not going to let you do this. This is not my will. And so he started out good. He told Balak, I'm not going to do it. Uh, it don't matter how much money you pay me, hint, hint, I'm not going to try to curse God's people. And Balak kept coming back and he kept sending people to try to make him a better offer until finally he made him an offer that he could not refuse. And so he agreed to go and help Balak and try to curse the people of God. Now folks, this was a test from the Lord. He was testing Balaam to see if he would stick with him, to see if he would obey him. And on the way, on Balaam's way to curse, uh, to Balak to try to curse the people of God, <clears throat> remember what happened. Two things happened to try to, the Lord sent to try to get Balaam's attention to get him not to go and attempt this. He sent an angel to block the road. You remember that? And that donkey sensed that angel, and that donkey stopped and 
basically caused Balaam to whoop him. And then the donkey asked Balaam, why are you whooping me, buddy? Right? I believe if I was on my way to curse God's people and those two things happened to me, I'd say I'm turning around. And I'm not going to go against the will of God. But unfortunately, Balaam refused to turn back because he couldn't turn down that big offer of money. And then when Balaam finally arrived at Moab, he attempted to curse Israel. He tried to do it. He tried four times, but God would not allow it to happen. And every time he opened his mouth to curse Israel, what happened? Instead, he blessed Israel. That should have been another sign to him to stop what he was trying to do and go on back home and live for the Lord. But he kept ignoring, he kept ignoring God's intervention. He desperately wanted that money. That's all he was seeking was money and position. He finally told Balak, Balak, I can't curse this people. I can't curse them the way you want me to. I can't curse the people of God, but I can tell you how to bring a curse upon themselves. I can tell you how to get the people to bring a curse upon themselves. And so he told Balak the plan. He said, here's what you do. You send your women, these Moabite women, these pagan women, these women who worship false gods, you send them down there to the camp and get them to have sex with the men. He said, but before you do that, you tell those women to tell those men, before we're going to let you do this, you're going to have to worship our, our false gods with us. You're going to have to participate in our worldly lifestyle with us. And they're going to do it. And then they'll bring a curse upon themselves. Why? Because God had commanded them. Do not be sexually immoral with these women. And do not worship their false gods. So the plan worked. Balaam told him the plan. They went and did the plan. It worked. And so what happened? Balaam was responsible for leading other people into sexual immorality and into idolatry. Worshiping a false god. For what? For a little bit of money, for a little bit of power, for a little bit of prestige. He deliberately led other people into sin, just like Jesus warned against in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, that those people at the church of Pergamos was doing. The exact same thing. Listen, notice what's going on here. Remember, we're talking about a phony false believer. This person claimed to believe in God. Balaam knew who the true God was. He knew about the authoritative, inspired, and errant, revealed Word of God. He knew what the will of God was. God had already told him not to do this, and then this wasn't going to work out. But he ignored the Word of God and the will of God. He ignored it all. Why? To chase money. To chase after worldly things, after material things. So I ask you this morning, are you doing the same thing? Are you ignoring the Word of God? Are you ignoring the will of God to chase after worldly things, to chase after money? Are you coming to church on Sunday and then leading your friends on Friday night to the bars? Are you doing that? If you are, you're leading other people into sin. The exact same thing Balaam was doing. The Bible says, yes, we're to be friends of sinners, but it don't say we're to be friends with sinners. The Bible tells us to come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. The Bible says not to keep bad company lest we become corrupt in our own character. The Bible tells us 
Not to be involved with the former lusts of our flesh. The Bible tells us to be holy even if Jesus, as Jesus Christ Himself is holy. Balaam didn't do that. Balaam led other people into sin. You say, well, I, you know, I, I know enough that I can repent, I'll come out of that. You might, and you might not. You might be led in complete, to complete apostasy and just manifest the fact you never were saved in the first place. But you might repent and come out of it. You might stop doing it. But what about those people that you led into it? You may have led them into a lifestyle that will eventually send them straight to hell. It'll be your fault. Are you neglecting the house of God to chase money? Are you neglecting the house of God to pursue hobbies? Parents, you really listen to me. If you're doing that at the expense of your kids, you're leading them into sin. And you're leading them into a lifestyle that does not see the importance of God, does not see the importance of the Lord Jesus Christ, does not see the importance of the church, and you are leading them into a lifestyle that might very well possibly send them straight to hell. That's the heir of Balaam. That's exactly what Balaam does. Do all your life choices revolve around yourself, revolve around money, revolve around hobbies, revolve around the things this world says are important? Are you chasing prestige? Are you chasing position? Does that describe your life? Remember, Jude's purpose of this is to identify these people, but it's also for us to examine ourselves to see if we're these people. Does this describe our lives? Are you selling out God for money? Is, is gold your God? I'll ask you this hypothetical question. Would you take one million dollars to never read your Bible again? Somebody, I'll give you one million dollars, but you can never read your Bible again. I'll give you one million dollars, but you can never go to church again. Are you mulling that over in your head and saying, hey, I don't have to read the Bible to be a good Christian? If you are, you've traded God for money. The Bible says, though, in Matthew 6.33, that instead of doing that, we should seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all those things will be added unto you. Seek God. Seek His kingdom. He's going to provide us with what we need. We don't have to waste our lives chasing after that stuff. Thirdly, we see the rebellion of Korah. <clears throat> Towards the end of verse 11, it says, They perished in the rebellion of Korah. This is the third illustration of these apostates. Korah and some guys that he, about 250 guys, he got to follow along with him. They rebelled against God's uh, God-given authority against Moses and Aaron. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 16. Now remember who Korah was. Korah was a Levite of the priestly tribe of Levi. And Korah was the cousin of Moses and Aaron. It was his job as a Levite to minister to those people in Israel in Old Testament times. He was a minister to them. He was a spiritual leader. But Korah, he wasn't satisfied with his God-given role in life. He was discontent. He was envious. 
He wanted something other people had. And so he rebelled against the Lord's appointed leadership and he led other people into that rebellion. They sought to undermine the authority of Moses and the authority of Aaron whom God had placed in those positions. God had called them to that position. God had given them that authority. And so Korah, he really disdained God's Word for putting people in authority. That's what his, his uh, rebellion was. He rebelled against spiritual leadership. He rebelled against God's design uh, for the order of service. And this is what they said in Numbers 16.3. Korah said, I don't know why you think you're such a big shot Moses and Aaron. He said, all the congregation are holy. Every single one of them. In other words, he was saying this. This was his philosophy. One man is as good as any other to lead, or one person, really, is as good as anybody else to lead, not even just a man. They're all holy. In other words, you hear people like, say stuff like this today in the, in the same vein. They say, hey, it doesn't matter if a woman's the pastor. It don't matter. It don't matter if a homosexual is the pastor. It's not that big of a deal. Right? I hear people say that all the time. Well, that's fine and dandy for you to say, but what's the Word of God say? The Word of God says that a woman should not be a pastor. The Word of God says that a homosexual certainly cannot be a pastor. That's rebellion. That's the rebellion against God's Word. That's rebellion against God's uh, proper authority. They say stuff like this. Hey, I'll support my pastor as long as I agree with him. You ever heard that? That's rebellion against God-given authority. You say, well, some pastors are just sorry and just in it for the money anyway. That may be true, but listen, God will deal with them. And He'll deal drastically with them. This word rebellion, the rebellion of Korah, literally means against the Word in the original language. Korah was rebelling against the Word of God. In reality, he was rejecting God's mediator. Moses was God's mediator. God had placed him there to be the mediator between the people and between God. And listen, people reject the mediator today when they reject the Lord Jesus Christ by refusing to submit to His God-given authority. And when you refuse to submit to the Word of God, you're refusing to submit to the mediator between man and God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The last thing I want you to notice is what happens to these people. What happens to these false believers. Look at the first part of verse 11. Jude says, really in the same spirit as the Old Testament prophets, Woe to them. Woe to these people who are on this path. Woe to these phony believers. He gives this powerful exclamation, this powerful word about people like this. In other words, he's saying there's no hope for people like this. There's no hope if they continue in this lifestyle. These people who have turned away from God, these people who have turned away from the truth of God's Word, he says, woe to them. This word woe is a word of warning, of impending judgment. It's the same word the Old Testament prophets always used when they were warning the people that, listen, unless you repent, unless you turn back to God, God's judgment is coming for you. Jude is saying the exact same thing. And listen, that's a blessing because God always warns before He sends the judgment. That's a blessing from God. 
He's warning these people, and He's warning us today that if we're in that kind of lifestyle, if we're in that, those same kind of errors, judgment is coming unless we repent, turn back to the Lord. <clears throat> One reason that Jude selected these three men as illustrations of being phony believers is to demonstrate that apostasy is not confined to one certain type of person. Anybody can fall into this. All people are in danger of apostasy. Listen, Cain was a farmer, right? Balaam was a prophet. Korah was a leader in Israel. Anybody can fall into this. Apostates can be in the pulpit, they can be in the palace, they can be in the poorhouse, and they can be in the pew. This is a danger for every single person. We need to heed these warnings. God sent judgment to all these men. Unfortunately, they did not repent. They did not turn back to the Lord. Cain refused to repent. And we know from the story of Cain that he went out, the Lord allowed him to go on and build a wonderful civilization. In the eyes of the world, Cain was a success. But Cain never repented. And Cain went to hell. Balaam refused to repent. Balaam was killed by the sword and went to hell. Korah refused to repent. And the Bible says in the rebellion of Korah that the ground opened up and swallowed him and many of his people. And the ones the ground didn't swallow up, the Lord sent fire from heaven to incinerate them. Listen, don't get trapped in empty, dead religion like Cain did. Don't be led astray by greed and materialism and chasing the things the world says are important. Don't let the world seduce you the way it did Balaam. And don't be deceived into rejecting God's appointed authority, especially the true mediator between man and God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not be deceived. You don't have to experience God's judgment. You don't have to experience the things that these, these guys that Jude used as illustrations experienced. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, the great mediator between man and God, He's there. All you have to, to do is repent and turn to Him in true faith. And once you do that, you look at your life See what's being manifested in your life to see if that's real. If what's being manifested in your life are the things Jude has been describing about false believers and phony followers, that points to the fact that your conversion was not real. You never really trusted Christ. But if your life... I'm not saying you're never going to sin, you're never going to mess up. The Bible never teaches that. But if you really put your trust in Christ, the Bible says you'll manifest a lifestyle of godliness. You'll produce good fruit along the way. It's a Christian walk. And you'll see Jesus Christ show up in your life. You'll see real manifestations of your true faith. Examine yourselves. See if that's real in your life. Don't fall under the way of Cain or the heir of Balaam, or the rebellion of Korah. Brother Cole, if you'll come, we'll have an invitation. Please stand.